welcome everyone. Welcome everyone online. Um, so glad you could be here. If you are new this morning or maybe you haven't uh, met me, my name is Manny. I'm one of the pastors here um, and we rotate teaching through elders um, and I haven't taught for quite some time, maybe late March possibly. Um, so I'm glad I can be here on 4th of July. Um, and we are going to be diving into Genesis 8, which is uh, the flood subsiding. So, some, may, some versions may say um, abating, um, but we're going to be in that. So we're going to dive here in a minute. But I want to recap a few things, if you remember, um, when Johnny kicked us off, um, or even Joel uh, before. Uh, there was just a lot of corruption happening on earth, and God was not pleased. Um, and really... We have a lot of wicked things happening today, but these things were beyond wicked, beyond what our hearts can even understand, um, and we see pockets of that, but um, it was just so bad, um, and so God wanted to bring judgment on earth and somewhat restart, but he found favor in Noah. Remember, Noah, it says that Noah walked with God um, early on in Noah, or sorry, not Noah, in Genesis 6, I'm talking about how Noah walked with the Lord. In the last two weeks, um, you know, Brian had kind of done a great job explaining how the flood actually happened. Um, and I would encourage you uh, to go back and, and check that out. He really takes a great archaeological, geological, um, and apologetic approach to um, kind of explaining how these things happen, how these things can be proven. Um, and, you know, there's the whole point for that, right, was to explain that there's a lot of skepticism out there. Um, and also uh, for us as believers, it takes faith. Uh, to, to believe in a God that we can't see, but we know exists. Um, and there's just a lot of different rhetoric out there that can really corrupt our minds or distract us from the importance of this message. And so um, as you go back, you know, again, we are just trying to help piece everything together of, of the importance of the creation story. And now here we are um, to the flood um, and how things um, kind of keep going. Now, chapter 8 um, of the flood story, it kind of can seem insignificant because it's sandwiched between God saying, I'm going to bring judgment over corruption, um, the corrupted people, and he chooses Noah. Um, and you can, you can kind of read chapter 8 as kind of an afterthought um, in some ways. But today we're just going to be walking through it. Um, I'm going to be reading it. Um, and then just breaking down a few, few points. Um, and, you know, I think it should be really great. But there are some super great things that happen after chapter 8 um, that we're really excited to unpack uh, when it comes to God's covenant and, um, you know, moving forward in the story of Israel. Um, but let's not forget what's happening here in chapter 8. And so um, if you'd open up your Bibles to chapter eight, or Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, um, I'm going to read through, the whole, uh, through 19, and then we're going to come back and, and touch on some things, okay? So I'll give you a second to get there. I have the ESV. I'm teaching on the ESV. All right. Genesis 8, 1. It says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed, and the rain from the heavens was restrained. And the waters receded from the earth continually, at the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. 
At the end of the 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven, and it went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark. For the waters were still on the face of the whole earth, so he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anywhere anymore. And in the six hundred and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the sorry, 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, and you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by, the fami- by families from the ark. Okay, so that's the end of what we're covering. Now there's a lot of math in there. Okay, there's a lot of math as far as months and days. And so I'm going to break down a brief summary um, of what's going on. It, you know, that Noah entered the ark when he was 600 years and two months and 10 days old. Um, seven days later, the rain began to fall. So this is stuff that happened before. The rain fell for 40 days and 40 nights. That's probably the most simple thing that we understand of what happened in this account. Um, the fountains of the great deep, which is subterranean caverns that Brian had talked about, also burst forth from under the earth. The flood waters spread across the entire earth, covering the mountains to deeper than 20 feet. And all the living creatures on the land that were not on the boat or on the ark were wiped away. And then the, the flood covered the earth for 150 days. Okay, and as the, the flood waters receded, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Um, and evidently, that's the region um, on the east side of Turkey. Uh, Ed, you want to put that slide up there? So I, I made this slide just to give us an idea of what's going on. Um, so you see that red dot um, on there. That's Mount Ararat. Um, it's not necessarily like on the peak. We kind of think it's just going to be sitting on the peak. It's, it's in the, the range, the front range of that mountain area. Okay, so that's um, the east part of Turkey. Sorry, the east, yes, east part of Turkey. Um, and that has some significance as time goes on. And this is probably the only apologetic, you know, um, archaeological thing I'll bring up is that um, it landed in like the eastern part of Turkey near the border of, of Russia or other uh, Middle Eastern countries. Um, and it has significance because later on in certain accounts of different uh, people in the Bible, uh, they start to move more west, okay? Um, if the ark would have, let's just say it was by the Mediterranean Sea, if they kept going more west, that means they would have gone into the sea, okay? Um, and so there, there's just some important things as they are migrating and moving around, um, it'd be pretty much impossible for them to keep going west depending on where, the, where they were. And so they've also found some, you know, based on archaeological digs and everything else that are, is happening, um, 
you know, through carbon dating of, of finding certain fossils, um, uh, excuse me, not fossils, but uh, petrified wood and everything else, um, that they've been able to kind of go back and say, this is roughly the area um, of where the ark could be, which is fascinating. Um, and I'll leave you to kind of go research a little bit more, but there's also geological craters near that mountain area that have supported certain evidence of the ark being there. Um, and some think there's the possibility that Noah and many after that, because um, we say, hey, w well, what happened to the ark? Where did it go? Um, is that um, there's a possible possibility, and could be, um, that Noah and others over time used the ark for certain material and resources. Um, the word doesn't really address that, um, but that's some others' theories on, okay, this is what happened to it. Just they took it apart and they used it for other material because God didn't say, like, hey, don't touch this anymore. They just use it as a resource. Um, and again, the point of that is, is a lot of people will try to break down this narrative saying, well, you have no evidence that these, these things are in existence. And actually, those that make their living and it, their life goal, um, Christian, non-Christian, have found uh, certain findings that support where the ark could have been uh, in Mount Ararat. So uh, pretty cool stuff, uh, but we'll keep going. Um, after it settles, um, 74 days later, the tops of the mountains become visible, okay? 40 days later, Noah sent out a raven. Noah then sent out a dove on three occasions, and the third time, it didn't return. And two weeks later, he saw dry land, but he still stayed in the ark for another 57 days until the Lord told him to leave. And at that point, okay, so there's, there's certain points where uh, at the end of like verse 13, towards the end of this, uh, chapter 8, verse 13, it says, in the 601st year is the first month, the first day of the month. That can kind of get confusing. What it's talking about is that Noah is 601 years old, two months, or sorry, 601 years, two months, and 27 days old when he left the ark, Okay. Noah was in the ark, and his family were in the ark for one year and 17 days. Um, that's kind of how this math happens um, over time, and hopefully that gives you a better idea. As, as I trip over those, um, just thinking about it, and it gets a little confusing, a lot of that breakdown would be helpful. So um, now if we go into this a little bit more, my hope is that we can, we can draw out some things about the character of God and who he is, and how it applies to us. Um, the archaeological things and the um, apologetic things, they're super important. At, at the same time, um, they are just a little bit of what God is trying to get across to us through his word in this story. Um, and so in verse 1, you see uh, that it says, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts. Okay, so again, he remembered them because he had made a covenant with Noah saying, hey, I need you to do this because I'm about to bring judgment. Now, that word God is Elohim, okay? Um, Elohim is also used at the very beginning of God's word when it says God created the heavens and the earth. Um, it's the same Elohim. Um, some would think that it's a different usage of the word God, um, such as Jehovah um, or Adonai, but no, it's, it's Elohim, um, which can be referenced as the mighty one or the, the, the creator um, and this is fitting since he just ended life in judgment um, and he is creating a new beginning again, right, for, for us. And so Elohim um, is fitting in, in that context. Um, and remember, he remembered Noah and his promise. Um, now, 
some people will go back and say, well, does that mean that God was just kind of doing whatever and then he was like, had an afterthought of Noah? No, no, this is talking about God's faithfulness, that he always had this plan for them um, and those on the, the ark and even the animals, okay? Um, he didn't just go off and leave them. Um, this was assuring, again, that God had his plan and he was in control. Um, but most importantly, that it was showing his faithfulness. Um, and so we go after that a little ways, and that the waters continued to obey. That means they kept on going down. Um, God was making these things happen. If you remember that uh, Brian was referencing the water caverns that were coming up, and the, the heavens that were opening were, you know, dropping water. Um, God, again, was controlling those, and he was closing it and um, making this happen, always showing that he was in control. And now in verse 6, it says, At the end of the 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up. Uh, funny thing is the raven never returned. Um, and find this interesting because the Levitical law is not in place yet, but a raven is considered um, dirty um, or uh, unacceptable or and not pleasing to the Lord. Um, and actually, what does he send next? A dove, right? And so that it actually is clean. That's a clean, sacrificial bird um, that he used. And so there's some symbolism there. Um, uh, the raven never returned. It just kept on flying away, probably died of exhaustion. I don't know. Um, but it didn't return, and Noah, the, the cool thing about Noah is he didn't get disheartened. He said, okay, well, it's not time yet. It's not time to get off. But he's continuing to uh, see where everything is. And eventually, the dove, what does the dove do? The dove goes out one time, nothing comes back. Um, and then in verse 11, it says, The dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Now, what does an olive branch or an olive leaf represent? Peace, right? So it's, it's a, a symbolism of peace that, you know, if you were on the ark for a year and something returned, something like that, it, it brings a lot of relief, right? That peace and comfort, knowing that certain things are in control, and so, uh, or that God is in control, and that there is, is hope to be had. And so that olive branch um, was um, important to Noah. It's, it should be important to us for us to see that, you know, even in the midst of waiting, we can have peace, right? That we can uh, see those things. Now, unfortunately, Noah still had to wait. He waited two more months um, and this is, this is something that we're, we're going to learn here um, together, is that then he waited another seven days and sent forth the, the bird, and he did not return, okay? So even though he knew, even though he knew that the water was subsiding, things were looking good, he, he was still waiting for God's permission, waiting for God to let him take the next step. I don't know, if, if, if I were him, I'd be like, all right, let's just let's all go off, and then we'd all be stuck in the mud, um, and possibly would drown like quicksand, um, and we weren't ready. And, and he was waiting; he was being obedient and asking, you know, waiting for God. Um, and you'll notice in the six hundred in the first year, um, excuse me, missed that one. In the second month, on the twenty seventh day of the month, the earth had dried out. And then this is what happens in verse fifteen. It says, "Then God." said to Noah, okay, 
Noah was being obedient and he was waiting. In Romans 8.25, it says, but if we hope for what we do not see, we have to wait for it with patience. Okay, so Noah was waiting in patience to hear from the Lord. Now, there's no account, right? There's no account that, um, that God had talked to Noah at all when he was on the ark, okay? Like, not one time. And we would think that maybe, hopefully, as they're, you know, getting tossed by the waves, that God was talking to them. But there's no account of that. Um, and, you know, we could, we could make it up. But I, I think that the Lord was having him wait in faith. Or, or he probably, or whoever was writing this would have had that account, right? It would, probably would have been documented. So what did Noah and his family have to do? They had, they had each other. Um, they probably played some semblance of a game like Uno for the billionth time, okay? Um, if you've ever gone camping and it just rains and pours and pours, you can only play so many games of Uno before someone gets hurt, and then you have to send each other in the corner, and it's a small tent. It doesn't work, okay? But we have to be patient. Remember, Romans 8.25 says, but if we hope for what we do not see, it will ask us to wait with patience. Now, what is patience? Waiting with joy. That's great. Thank you, Johnny. Uh, when, um, what did you say? I heard it. Oh, yes. Great. So that, so, uh, you know, I've told you about my kids a few times. Um, they always want things right away. Uh, we have to say, we say, you have to wait. And then we have to explain to them, we also have to, you have to be patient. And we ask them, what, what does it mean to be patient? Um, and we have to continue to remind them of that, right? To, to wait with joy and expectation. Um, sometimes the things that we want most require patience. But this waiting for us, right, can, it can bring out all sorts of emotion. Now, some of us have been through some tumultuous times. Some of us have been through some um, long-suffering. Maybe it's not, you know, forever. Uh, but we've all been through our own trials. And, yeah, patience can be torture, right? And so what kind of emotions come out when you have to be patient? Anxiousness. What else? Frustration. Anger, bitterness, resentment, hunger, discouraged, doubt, fear. All, all of these emotions, and there's more, right? It, you, if you can feel like you're in a dark time. You can feel like there's, um, that there's no hope, right? All these emotions, though, also lead to another thing that we probably could all relate to Noah and his family is, is loneliness. Matter of fact, there's probably people in this room, we're, we're surrounded by each other, but we still feel lonely. Because God is asking us to be patient, that doesn't always mean we don't feel those things. And we got to go back to this, remember, God remembered Noah. He remembered him. And the importance of that is that he didn't just say, oh, yeah, I, I have this task. He, he looked at Noah as his child, as his son, as someone that was important, um, and, and saying, I remember you. I remember the things that you're going through, the, the things you were, have endured for the last year and 17 days. 
right? That, that when we are anxious or lonely or bitter, um, which I'm sure those emotions had to have come up, um, or they would talk again about how saintly Noah was. Okay, they left that out. Because it's, it's about who? It's about God and his story, his redemption plan. But he used someone significant in it. Um, the other uh, term that I, I wrote down a few, and everyone said really great things, um, and also it can be a super dark time for us. Again, you can be amongst a lot of people. You can even be in the light, and it can still be dark and lonely. And God reminds us of that. Thank you. Depressing, depression. That's when, when things get dark. Now, there are two great influential uh, characters in the Bible, uh, and we should know them both probably, hopefully. Uh, one is David. David endured a lot of hardship. David endured a lot of uh, things where he had to be patient. Um, and it, in Psalm 42, 9 through 10, it says, I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Now, when Noah was preparing to, you know, or was building the ark, um, he was ministering to people. He was also telling people that condemnation is going to be coming um, and judgment will be here. Uh, But people were doing what? They were mocking him. So when he gets on the boat, he's thinking, maybe those people were right. Maybe my God won't show up. But again, Elohim, the creator, the ruler, remembered him, remembered his family, remembered the promise. And then another character that we all love very much is Jesus. Okay, He's on the cross, and he's saying, God, why have you forgotten me? Why have you forsaken me? But God shows that he hasn't forgotten. He shows that he is faithful. Now, some of us, we maybe haven't been here before the study of, of Genesis, but we were in James. If we remember in James uh, 1, verse 2 through 4, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. Okay? Um, we, we get reminded of that all the time. Now, I want someone to look up First uh, Peter 1, 6. I'd love for you to, to look at that. While you're looking that up, I'm going to read Psalm 66, 10 through 12, and it says, For you have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid an oppressive burden upon our loins. You made men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you brought us out into a place of abundance. This story is about God bringing people out of a place for abundance, an abundant future for his church. Now, I have to go back to this because we, we, this word can be uncomfortable, but you laid an oppressive burden upon our loins. Um, man, if anyone's ever for, felt heart sick, or like, man, you just can't, you can't function um, correctly. Um, again, this author from this psalm un- understands that God sees him, understands him, um, and wants to bring him out of that turmoil. Just, it takes time. It takes, really, abiding in God and not yourself. But you almost become immobilized by it, Right? 
Is anyone at First Peter one six? You got it. Right. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Again, this is this is uh, from First Peter. You know, talking about how these trials are necessary so that we can find joy. Noah had to go through a trial. He had to be patient. If anything, patience is a trial. It's torture. Um, but we, at the end, we get to rejoice. We get to find something that we didn't know we could even find. And this is happening to Noah um, in this narrative. Now, here's a tough truth, though, okay? So um, when we live in faith, when we are walking as Christians and we're walking in, in faith of God, um, we can act in faith, but who's in, ultimately in control? God, Jesus, right? Okay, now we can walk in faith and we can trust, but God is the only one that can deliver us. He's the only one that can deliver, and that's what's happening in this flood account is that he is delivering them. Um, and again, it gets, it gets really exciting, but um, there's no doubt when we're in trials, whatever season of darkness we're in, um, we want it to cease, right? We want it to just go away. But God uses that trial to shape us, for us to experience his goodness even more, okay? Now, imagine you're getting off this ark, okay, and he hears, you hear God's voice. For, for the first time after a year and 17 days, um, probably even longer than that, um, and he says, I want you to go out. Um, there's probably joy, and then there's probably like, are you sure, you know? And uh, especially in this, if, if I were Noah, I'd, I'd probably be just a little scared that I'm not going to do it exactly right. But God is, man, he's so kind because of uh, who he is and the character of who God is to the ones that he loves. And he loves us. When we call for him, even, even when we sometimes fall short, or a lot of the time, right? But we want, we want those things to go away, but we experience even more goodness. I can't imagine what it would be like, um, you know, being lost at sea for a year and a half. And I think some of us can relate to uh, what happened with COVID, right? We were, we were inside. We were locked in our homes. We were um, kept from doing the things that we always loved doing, and then all of a sudden, we kind of have that, for lack of a better term, freedom back, and we, we have a little trepidation, right? We have a little bit of, can I do this anymore? Like, we, our brains just get trained after a certain amount of time, and we can walk in certainty that we, we have that freedom now. And so this is what's happening to Noah, okay? Um, and maybe you're like this, right? We all have things um, where we have awesome mountaintop experiences where we are willing to, um, you know, kind of go the extra mile. Um, we're excited to kind of pave a new road. And then after like two months in, it gets a little harder, right? Things get a little tougher. And, and for me in my faith, uh, when I became a believer, I mean, I was all, all gung-ho. I was on fire for what God had in store. Uh, but it, only a few months in, right, there's there's things that just kept coming my way because the enemy didn't like what was going on and also just life happens where you start to question, is that really what I should be doing? 
and we, we get distracted. Things aren't always smooth sailing, and, and doubt creeps in. Darkness comes. It can be lonely. A few weeks back, you know, Johnny opened up, um, again, this Noah narrative on the covenant promise. Um, and she just walked out of here, but I'm going to share, you know, if you hadn't had a chance, um, Kim Smith shared a little bit of the trial that she's been going through for the last couple years. And at the end of the day, I mean, it's, it's about abiding and being in his faithfulness over us trying to fight getting out of it, right? Us trying to say we, we're going to be the ones that uh, rescue ourselves. And we live in an age where it's super, super easy to want to go after the good things. And it's, it's super tempting. Um, like Noah could have, I think, could have walked out of the boat earlier, but he was waiting for the Lord, Lord's voice. And, and we live in an age where um, if things aren't going well for us, we can just change the course. And the, the interesting part is God allows us to do that if we want to. But I would encourage any of you that are going through a tough time to, to stay the course, especially if you know that's what God has for you in your path. I don't know how many times I talk to um, younger men and women about getting into ministry um, and I'm like, okay, sweet. Like, this is, what, this is what's kind of required of you. It takes this, and, it, and, you know, and you're going to have to be doing that. And maybe one out of five actually keep, you know, pressing on because it's a difficult road. It's a, it's a difficult thing. And, and, again, that's not a sob story for me, but you only know that if you've experienced it. And I'm sure many of you could, you know, resonate in different areas of your life where you say you want to pursue one thing, and when things get tough, that's when you, a lot of things come into question. A lot of things come into a perspective, and, and a lot of nasty things come out, too, about yourself. A lot of th- You start to question yourself, and that's where we go back to God's love and kindness that he has for us. Now, now trials will come. People want to be reminded of God's promises, and that's, that's also true, Okay. We want to be a church where we can encourage you and, and point you back to who God really is. But I'm also going to say that we are also a church that will, to be straight up with you, will tell you that sometimes this journey is lonely and hard. It, it can be dark. And, you know, some of us may not want to hear that, and they may say, well, not every other church is teaching me that. They're saying, like, everything's all rainbows and, you know, goodness. And, but the reality is that's not the way God uses circumstances sometimes. And probably the majority of the time. And a lot of you probably could attest to that. And, and what I want to encourage you in is, um, you know, if God had spoke to you at some point, and whatever that may be, last couple of years, years ago, okay, he wasn't speaking to you in a dark time. Right? He was speaking to you in a time where you, in, where you were in light. Okay? And so we, sh- we should not doubt in, in the, the dark areas of what God had shown us when we were in the light. Okay? Let me say that again. Do not doubt in the darkness when God had shown you something in the light. And for us, he shows us things in the light and to, to be able to, to grow and mature in Christ like we have to 
experience that turmoil and those trials. And you can imagine for Noah, it was probably a dark time. Now, again, there's no narrative that talks about uh, Noah talking with God. But when he says, then God said to Noah, and then he, he obeyed, right? It was, Noah got to see that deliverance. Even in the midst of that judgment, God, God remembers his mercy that he has on us. And there's, there's no trial that can separate us from Christ's love. What I want to point out here is, at the end of this, um, Joel's going to be talking about God's covenant with Noah, and it's going to be super fun, and it's going to get pretty deep. But one thing I want to point out is a lot of times when we come to church, we, um, we look forward to the worship, and the worship is awesome. It's a response to what God is, is doing and a testimony of what he's doing, um, and that is that it's amazing. But what I want to point out here is that before Noah got to go, um, it says in verse 20, it says, then Noah built an altar to the Lord. So that's, that's worship. The first thing he actually had to do was walk in obedience. And sometimes we think that, well, I got to get this all figured out first, and then I can bring my praises, and then I can walk in obedience. And the reality is, is no, like he, he calls us to walk in that obedience, what he has for us, before we even get that opportunity. That is actually an act of worship before the, you know, the, the sing-song time or whatever you want to call it, okay, that, that he has that opportunity for us to, to walk in obedience. And if anyone questions this, saying, well, I don't know if being obedient and going through all this, this hardship is actually worship, um, man, there are so many stories in this word that, that would say otherwise. And, and so when we come together, right, it's about getting our heart in line with saying, God, am I walking in obedience? Am I walking in the way you want me to? And I'm not talking about like, hey, stop sinning and stop doing this, although there, there can, that can be an act of obedience. It's, it's actually, you know, praying and saying, God, like, am I listening to, to your will in my life? When the world is telling me that I, I should just find happiness over here, but you want me to go down this path, right? The, the path is narrow. That's, that's some of that, what it was talking about, was that it's, it's not always joyful, but that joy comes later on. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. But what I would like to do for a moment is, before we worship by singing, where is it that we need to ask God, am I being obedient? Am I surrendering the things that maybe I'm having a hard time surrendering? Have I had a, a poor outlook on what faith really is to God and the character of who God is because the world has come and infiltrated my viewpoint on that? So take a minute, and then we're going to sing a song, and then... Um, I'm going to actually be coming to a few of you to come up and read a few pieces of Scripture in response. Um, but take a second as they get prepared and, and ask God, how, how do you want me to walk in obedience? Let's go ahead and do that.
those that I gave scripture verses to, so Seth, Heather, and Brother Lee, if you guys just come up here and read those, um, and then I'll read a scripture, and then we'll respond um, through communion, but going ahead. Hello. Uh, so Psalm 31, 3 through 5, for you are my rock and my fortress, for your name's sake you will lead me and guide me. You will pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from my fears. Yeah, I think I need a mic. <laughs> Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Thank you, guys. All right. And then I was going to read one. It's from Psalm 25, 8 through 10, and it says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his ways. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Listen, there's um, some really rich things that happen um, in Genesis. And we, we can look at Noah actually as a, t some people use the word a type of Christ. Um, and all, all I know how to explain that is he's a representation of who Christ is, right? That he, Christ came and was obedient. Obedient so much to death on the cross for us. So that we could have a relationship with that same God, that Elohim that created, that has control. But he made a way through Christ's obedience for us. And so when we respond, you know, we respond in, um, even response in doubt, saying, God, help me to believe, even with my unbelief. Some of us walk in here with, with doubts, and we can feel ashamed. Uh, we can feel like we don't add up, that we shouldn't even walk through these doors. Um, and th there's just, Christ does not have room for that. He has room for so much more to hear your doubts, to hear your pleas. Because he is a faithful God. And he is, he is not ashamed of us. He just asks us to call on him and to surrender ourselves to him. 